Virginia, there may not be a Santa Claus, but there is a Galaxy Con, and guess who's coming? <laughs> it's going to be us, the Inglorious Trexperts in As Richmond, in- Virginia. Inglorious Live Tour 2023 continues. Wow. Darren and me, Mark A. Altman, will be in Richmond at GalaxyCon on, uh, when is it, Darren? It's March 24th through 26th. March 24th to March 26th in lovely Richmond, Virginia. And there are going to be a ton of great guests. But none of that matters because we're there. We're there. We are a ton of great guests. We are indeed, and we're excited because GalaxyCon is where it's at. These guys put on great shows with great guests, a great dealer's room, and plenty of entertainment. And And more. And more. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The illusion of beauty and more. So uh, I'm I'm really excited, Darren. It's going to be a great chance to... um, well, I was going to say a great chance for you to meet the fans. That's right. And, uh, for me to us. meet the fans, not you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'll be eluding uh, deadly scooter accidents. Oh my but uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited because, uh, like I said, um, uh, the, the Inglorious Live Tour, or I, as I call it, my farewell tour. This is like uh, the who. You know, I'm, I'm on my farewell tour, but we know how that turned out. Uh, they've been on the same farewell tour now for 50 years. That's right. Um <laughs> Uh, Four years. That was a Godfather reference. Godfather (laughs) two, actually. Yeah, they died died of the same heart attack since. But uh, but it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be great. Um, Jody Whittaker is gonna be there. Rosario Dawson, Kevin Smith, uh, Bill Shatner, Brent Spiner. Um, No, this is Columbus. That's Columbus. (laughs) That's Columbus. You gotta I'm click talk- on the click on the Richmond one. I'm talking about Richmond, Virginia. I don't think they have all of their guests up there. They, they don't. Uh, um, but Vincent's going to be there. David Tennant's going to be there. Oh, one of our favorite people. You know who's going to be there? Not only is Bill Shatter going to be there, Walt Koenig's going to be there. We love Walt. Oh, good. Yeah, it'd be good to see him. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll, we can uh, show him another movie he hasn't seen in 30 years. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes will be there. Gates is going to be there. And nice. uh, they're just starting to announce some of these guests, but the list goes on and on. Um, and it's going to be great. Oh, Mariel Hemingway from my favorite movie, Manhattan. Nice. And uh, maybe if we can moderate a panel with her. I guess she's there for Superman 4, but we can talk about personal best in Manhattan. Oh, I think they'll be, be go over the heads of the audience. They'll be like, what? what, what? What's going on here? Um, Sarah <laughs> Douglas is going to be there. We haven't seen her since, oh, uh, be, since Lola's. Lola's. <laughs> yeah. Superman, that'll be great. Uh, Mark Pillow, Nuclear Man, is going to be there. Nice. Of course, the great Barry Boswick uh, yes. will be there, star of such great legendary movies as Megaforce. So uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be there. We hope you'll be there, too. Uh, check out GalaxyCon.com for all the details, and we'll see you in Richmond, Virginia, this March. Hey, Darren, have you heard about Trexpers Plus yet? Heard about it. We've We've done it. What it's are you amazing. About? Of course, I've heard about it. It's so cool. You're getting the whole Trexpress experience, but you're also getting a new podcast from us, the Inglorious Trexpress, Deck Seventy Eight. This is true. It's it's like a it's like hanging uh, with us in the lounge on a starship, but also cool guests talking about cool subjects, Trek adjacent topics like right. Alien, Battle Beyond the Stars, RoboCop, Logan's Run, The Black Hole. You name it. And we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll be there. Who knows? There might be a little uh, one about the Godfather someday. Oh, that'd be fun! Maybe I want to do that. Be able to refuse that? <laughs> they won't, indeed. So it's really easy to join. If you want to support uh, uh, the podcast and become a member of Trexpress Plus to get all the the great Trexpress Plus goodness, 
You want to go to trexpertsplus.com, trexpertsplus.com and one take word, off one for savings. Out. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh it, it you can sign up, it's very easy and then from there on out you can enjoy the full experience and you can be find your way chosen. to deck 78, the hidden deck of the Starship <laughs> Enterprise and the Inglorious Trexperts where we hang out. Well, yeah. It's all good. Join us. TheTrexpertsPlus.com. Playbells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away is the bluebird. Here to stay is a new bird. He sings a love song as we go along. Walking in a winter wonderland. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And this is Ashley Edward Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back for our holiday special. And uh -huh. it wouldn't be a holiday cheerful special without none other. And Robert Meyer Burnett, welcome. Well, the weather outside is frightful, but we don't care because we're in a starship traveling the cosmic infinitude. There is no weather in space. Wow. There, are there, there are ion are, storms, Mark. There are ion storms. There are ion storms. And then we end up in the mirror universe. That's we are right. surfing the chronosynclastic infundibulum. I just there have to go. say that I, I have to point this out because this is the holiday special. And we're talking to our good friend, Rob Burnett, who for all the world right now, looks like Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th Street, the original wow. with Natalie Wood. Ho, 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 Ashley, have you, <laughs> you been know? a good boy? He's like, <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> he sort of has the short hair, he's kind of rocking, he's sort of like the, the studly Santa Claus. What do I need yeah. to do, sing in Dutch? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Hanukkah Harry. <laughs> but um Eight you know it's funny a week. you mentioned that whole uh, ion storm thing we should I do did. we should do a mirror a countdown oh where God. our counterparts do <laughs> the, <laughs> the, 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 characters the joke Trek. is that this is the mirror countdown and we only reveal it in the last episode <laughs> that's right that's I, why I, I have a goatee that's I right. can only imagine what our, our, our counterparts in that other universe would be doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it be order you and the best character is decorate Harry the Kim. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, seven of nine. You want a place on the list? I'll play. <laughs> it's like that community episode with the uh with the darkest timeline that yeah. is truly the darkest timeline harry kim is our number one pick <laughs> uh, actually maybe it's not <laughs> no 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 I, I can think of darker timelines yes yeah. mr uh, home hey he uh, made our list don't knock mr home he was number 90 along with loxana troy harry kim the great major parrot who also starred in westworld that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> so before before we, we continue our countdown at number 89, I just want to ask you, obviously, the holidays are almost upon us, uh, Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and Festivus. What are some of the the Star Trek or, or Star Trek adjacent uh, presents that you most covet this uh, holiday season, Rob? 
I I want the Exo Six Star Trek the Motion Picture six scale action figures. The Troika. Well, I I I, I think it's going to take a while to get McCoy. Ah, that's but too bad. Spock and Kirk are eminent. Yeah, don't yeah. know if they're Im- gonna... imminent, not eminent. They're eminent and imminent. They're eminent. <laughs> they're seeing enemies. If a if a doll becomes preeminent, is expected to have enthusiasms. <laughs> enthusiasms. <laughs> uh, yes. So that's that's what I would like. Yeah. Wow. I don't blame you. Those those Spock and uh, uh, Captain Kirk uh, from the motion picture do look pretty spectacular. They look good. Yeah. Yeah. And did you get the Cisco? Uh, he is not shipped yet to me, but I should have him this week. Yeah. He texts you and you shall have him. I, I was on the fence. I'm, I'm really sticking with TSO, TOS only, so I did not get Cisco, but I'm having, shall we say, regrets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of weird what they're doing. You know, uh, Tuvok and Cisco came out. I mean, they're, 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 they're doing the Voyager crew and... I'm glad I have they're no delving into about not getting too fucked up. No, I know, but I, <laughs> I'm getting them all. The only ones I'm not getting are are uh, I didn't get the I didn't get Burnham or Saru. Gotcha. So, but uh, I'm you know they're, they're just so um, nice. The Did tailoring. you get the, the Guardian of Forever? It's a uh, you know in a top hat and uh, tails. Uh, uh, no, no, that's yeah. not canon, Mark. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's, that's, shot that's, that's from a comic book. So what about you, uh, Ashley? Ashley Miller? What what do you what would you, you like what? to have this holiday season? Uh, my tastes are very simple. The uh, the the one thing that I've I've asked for that I know that I want is the Star Trek the motion picture director's edition on 4K. That's what I want. You don't have one. I don't. I'm have just one. gonna say that. <laughs> I don't. Where have you one. been, buddy? I know. I know. It's gonna be sold out by the time uh, the holidays come. Well, that's why I, I put my wish list out. A now. while ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Well, that, it's a definitely something worth having. That's for sure. Damn right. What a beautiful set that is. Beautiful work by Darren and the team. Beautiful. Yeah. I've only watched it on streaming. Yeah. You're, well, in, you're, it, you're it, in for treat. It does look pretty good on HBO Max, though. I yeah. Have to say. Yeah. Not, I got uh, not comparing it to any previous uh, streaming service. Because <laughs> <laughs> all the Star Trek movies are currently uh, streaming on um, HBO, HBO Max. Max. You know, it's nice. funny. So on Friday, I got the um, the COVID booster, the Omicron booster, and a flu shot. Omicron so study kinda, two. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I so said nothing more exciting than a dream that failed. But I was, uh, I was, um, so I was laid up for the weekend because uh, because you know that's what happens when you get nine thousand shots in your arm and you're me, and uh, and so. What did I do? I had the Pluto on, which, uh, you know, was exactly the kind of thing you do when you're sick and you can't really pay attention to something. And uh, they were showing TOS. And yeah, I got to tell are. you, yeah, I got to tell you, this is probably going to come as very little surprise to you, three of you. That's a really good show. <laughs> <laughs> I, because, you know, the great thing about watching it on the Pluto is that you're not in control. You know, it's yeah. like the outer limits. The TV takes control, right? And so you're just at the mercy of whatever they show. So I'm watching episodes I haven't watched in a long time. Like Yuri and Dagger play, the Mine. And, you can't play the guess the episode within five seconds game if you've picked the episode to play. Yes, that's yeah, true. Right, exactly. But you can. Yeah. You um, can with Pluto. It's just yeah. no fun. And it's yes, funny. It I want literally one second. I, I mean, I'm still, I still got it when it comes to TOS. Yeah. Next gen, 
I, I had some Not problems. So I had some Although, problems. Couldn't you identify inheritance immediately? I, I could not. I still can't. I still don't know that I, it really is an episode or just an elaborate gag on me that this episode even exists. I was telling them the other day, Rob, that this episode came on Pluto, this thing called Inheritance from the seventh season of Next Gen. I did not, I literally did not remember. A, like he comes on, I'm like, what episode is this? What is happening? Data has a mother. I've never seen, I mean, I, of course, I've seen every episode of Next Gen, but I'm like, it was like, where did this come from? Am I imagining this? Like, it was, I, I knew, remember literally nothing about the episode. I, 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 if somebody had told me, I said, no, that doesn't exist. There's no such episode. I, I, I couldn't remember it at all. It was the most bizarre thing. Well, that's odd because that episode's seventh season, which means it's from the 93-94 TNG season. And, of course, I met you for the first time at Comic-Con in August of 94. So had I read the CFQ retrospective that you wrote with those reviews in it first, had it come out before I'd met you or not? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, because you 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 had seen uh, Sci-Fi Universe number two. Uh, yep. which which had the uh, episode guide to season seven, which presumably I reviewed Inheritance. You had to have, yes. <laughs> and, was, and don't remember it at all. Was that the one with Riker screaming, I can't believe it's over? Yeah, yeah, that's the one with Riker yeah. screaming and it says, I can't believe it's over. That's still from Parallels, which I do remember. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I can't believe I remember I that. I remember yeah, so it's uh, it was uh, it was bizarre, but I'm really enjoying uh, watching the uh, watching the Pluto. Well, as uh, though it's actually television, where you have zero control over what's on. This is it. this yeah. is where you can enjoy your future years of memory loss and uh, enjoy things anew. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, people say, oh, well, don't you have the episodes? Of course I have the episodes. Yeah. I, you know, how many times I have to fuck? I, mean, I have them on digital. I have them on the disc. I have them on, you know, any possible for laser disc. I mean, I have them. I have them. It's, but for whatever reason, I'm watching the Pluto. Same thing Rob and I talk about this all the time. James Bond comes on TV and, yeah. you know, you sit, you watch it with the commercials, just even if you have it on Laserdisc and VHS and 9,000 Blu-rays and DVDs. For it's some reason, it's an imagined community that you're part of. It's an imagined community. Yes, indeed. That is that is very much that is very much true. And speaking of that, I don't know if you got uh, this is a book I got myself an early Christmas present. It's the Quentin Tarantino a cinema speculation. Has anyone read this book yet? I have it, but I haven't read it yet. I yeah. listened to it on Audible. What'd you think, uh, Darren? Uh, it's certainly verbose, and uh, <laughs> he has a lot of uh, a lot of opinions on things. Some of them I agree with, some of them not so much. But uh, it's good that he is so uh, powerful in his opinions and likes and dislikes. Boy, he loves that pretty maids all in a row, doesn't he? Not as much as he should. <laughs> well, I was just, I just, I, he went off on how bad Point Blank is compared to the outfit. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. I, that's crazy talk. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy talk. I don't know. So there's some, some, some very odd uh, comments. I enjoyed the book. I think it's good. I, I don't think yeah. it's a staggering work of film criticism, but I think it's a. Well, it, uh, it certainly, it certainly informs us on his, uh, on his tastes. Yeah. 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 And so consistent. Uh, I'll say this for him. He's consistent. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Darren, um, what about you? What do you? What's on your uh, your uh, holiday list? You know what? I've been uh, a lucky kid uh, since I was little, and uh, I I would always get wonderful things for Christmas, um, and uh, that sort of tapered off uh, in my thirties uh, and forties, and and later when I uh, became an adult. But uh, you know, I have to when say in that your fifties. 
You became an adult when you're in your 50s? I'll tell you. I'll tell you okay. when I became okay. an adult Just right checking. now. <laughs> um, look, I... Uh, Christmas is uh, a lovely... Say, I'll tell you about my mother. I'll tell you about my mother. The, uh, Christmas <laughs> is a lovely time to give, and it's become that for me, because uh, I'm really good to myself the rest of the year. Mm. And, uh, and uh, look, I, if I were, if I were uh, still in uh, you know, my uh, 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 early years, I would have killed to have the uh, Jazz Inc. Batmobile. Um, and I got it for myself. I ordered it three years ago, and it came this past week. And my God. It yes, is, those atomic batteries didn't get to speed in time. It is the most beautiful thing ever. And it's huge, and it fits the giant figures. And man, oh man, I I would uh, if I were ten years old, I would just shoot myself because there's nothing else left. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> nice. I don't know if that's an endorsement or not. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is okay because uh, yeah. it's just it's just astonishing. And uh, if I hadn't got it for uh, myself, I would want it for Christmas. Um, but I would have had to have waited another three years. So I'm good. Nice. Fantastic. Well, that's great. Well, I think it's going to be a very happy holiday season for all of us. And who knows? Maybe we'll even be done with this list by then. Although I seriously doubt it. I don't think we are. I don't think we will be. (laughs) This is the Inglorious Trexperts Top 101 Holiday Countdown. This year we're doing 101 Greatest Star Trek Characters of all time. Greatest Star Trek Characters. When we uh, finish Part 1... Uh, at number 90 was Laxa Troy and Mr. Holm. And we continue the countdown with Ashley Miller at number 89. Uh, coming in at number 89 is a, is a, a character who's even nearer and dearer in my heart than, uh, than number 89. Um, he is, uh, one of the few successful relative characters in, uh, in Star Trek history. I'm speaking of uh, Benjamin Sisko's father, Joseph Sisko, played by the great Brock Peters. You know, there's something I just don't understand. You're always telling me that space is big, that it's an endless frontier filled with infinite wonders. It's true. Well, if that's the case, you would think it would be more than enough room to allow people to leave each other alone. It just doesn't work that way. It should. But it doesn't. Um, who you remember from Star Trek Four and Star Trek Six is Admiral Cartwright, yeah. um, and uh, Joseph Sisko is a uh, he's a he's a chef in uh, in in New Orleans in Louisiana. Uh, he makes a mean gumbo, and he has some of the best moments uh, with with Captain Sisko of of any character on the show. And you can see where Cisco gets his cantankerousness, his cleverness, like so many things that get communicated uh, by Brock Peters. And I think for me, it, it all comes down to to one exchange from the home front Paradise Lost uh, two-parter where we discover that there are, what, three changelings on Earth and that's it. Um, and uh, Cisco, Captain Cisco has become convinced that his father, maybe has been taken over by a changeling to get close to him. And his father gives him the kind of beatdown that every father should give a boy that he loves. And he says, this business has got you so twisted around, you can't think straight. You're seeing shapeshifters everywhere. 
Maybe you ought to think about something for a minute. If I was a smart shapeshifter, a really good one, the first thing I would do would be to grab some poor soul off the street, absorb every ounce of his blood, and let it out on cue whenever someone like you tried to test me. Don't you see? There isn't a test that's been created a smart man can't find his way around. And that is everything you need to know about Papa Cisco. Changelings. Oh my gosh! Yeah, what a great, what a great character. But you're right. I mean, the trope of the uh, the relative we'd never met before is one of the Star Trek's worst tropes. You know, whether it's in Operation Annihilate, where we, you know, basically dispatch Captain Kirk's brother in in seconds and don't really deal with the emotional repercussions of it, or Worf, you know, as a son, he has a, a, you know, a a dad, a mom, you know, he's a Georgia Brown and Theodore Bikel, which is actually kind of fun. Um, But, and then, you know, everybody else, we got the worst, Riker's dad, you know, the great Mr. This fight is all we have left. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, but Joseph Sisko was a a multidimensional, fully drawn, fascinating character played by the great uh, Brock Peters and uh, a really nice addition to the oeuvre of amazing characters on Deep Space Nine. And they would have deep voice fights. Yeah, they would. Oh, my God. What great voices they have. (laughs) So uh, that brings us to Rottmeyer Burnett, number 88. Now, I have to say that this character is one of my favorite, call him antagonists in Star Trek history. When I was a little kid, I was so intrigued by this character. Um, I, I loved him so much. And what's very interesting about this character uh, is what he sort of represents, which is all of human history yeah. in one man. And I'm, of course, referring to Flint. If you do not leave voluntarily, I have the power to force you to leave or kill you where you stand. Have you ever seen a victim of Rigillian fever? They die in one day. The effects are like bubonic plague. The Enterprise, a plague ship. Last tender encounter, Captain Kirk. Be thankful that you did not attack me, Captain. I might have accepted battle, and I have twice your physical strength. How childish he is, Rainer. Would you call him brave or a fool? I will not be the cause of this. I choose. Time for you to join your crew. Played by the great James Daly. Yeah. In one of the, the toward the latter, the, the end of Star Trek, the original series in the third season, Requiem for Methuselah is where this character came from. And he was an immortal from Earth that caused, for whatever reason, instant tissue regeneration. And throughout his life, he was many different people. Um, he knew Moses. He, uh, was the Jewish, uh, King Solomon at one point. Uh, he knew the philosopher Socrates, Socrates. <laughs> so and, um, uh, All he knew, he knew Jesus and, and, uh, under the name Lazarus. And well, Bill Ted could have saved a lot of time by just, he knew Jesus him biblically because he Maybe. was like what? at least 15 people. 
Yeah, he was Johannes Brahms. <laughs> he was Leonardo da Vinci. As a matter of fact, uh, at one point, he promised, Kirk promised never to reveal Flint to the rest of the universe. But in a, in a Star Trek Voyager episode, Captain Janeway says, you know, Captain Kirk claimed to know da Vinci, which means Kirk told. Kirk didn't <laughs> keep a secret. I don't um, think that's true. I think that's a lie. No, maybe. Yeah. But the I, rats, I, the rats. I, I loved this character and I love the way he dressed. He's got an incredible outfit. And of course, he created this episode. The episode that it's from always bothered me as a kid, as much as I loved Flint. And by the way, there was a moment in this episode where he has so much power at his command, he shrinks the Enterprise down to the same size as an AMT model of the Enterprise <laughs> and has it on his desktop. And they always much cut, like you. They always cut that out <laughs> of syndication. So when I was a kid, I remembered seeing that. Yeah. And then years later, I was like, I thought this was the episode where they shrink the Enterprise and Kirk looks in the view screen. Yeah. And it was always gone. And it wasn't until I got I got the uh, the episodes on VHS where it was restored to its original glory. But for a kid, this character that he lived 6,000 years and he'd lived many different guises. Then he went, he went, he went, uh, he left the earth and bought his own planet and wanted to just live alone and create, created Reina, this android, of course, that Kirk falls in love with, which I never bought, you know, as a, as a kid, I was like, come on, dude, you can't fall in love with a woman in an afternoon. No, hell your- yeah. And then you became an adult, Rob, and you discovered that that was 100% possible. I did. I did, actually. <laughs> and Rob but, was um, he was Flint. But there, for all of this, for, for, for all of this, for all of this, uh, I love this episode. I loved his voice, James Daly's voice yeah. as Flint. He's one of just the most distinctive characters. And there was, even as a kid, I recognized there was something sad about this man who knew so much and had seen so many things, and yet he just wanted to live by himself in his big gigantic. He reminded me of kind of Charles when I saw Citizen Kane for the first time. I'm like, this guy's like Charles Foster Kane. Oh come on! Yeah, I was with you until then. I'm telling you, now I did. You sound like Scott Mance. No, and his Xanadu, and you know, <laughs> I, I, I did. I've always and I've always loved. Episodes. I've always loved it. And I'll tell you something. What's even cooler about this character is in non-canonical Star Trek works like the Reeve Stevens Federation, even when DC or IDW did the Star Trek lead, no, it was DC, Star Trek did the Legion of Superheroes crossover, uh, Flint was in that. And it turns out he was related to the DC character Vandal Savage. They were amazing. They were counterparts for different. I know. And, and I mean, uh, it was, it, I love this character, and and the Reese Stevens gave him a first name, uh, Micah. Micah Brack was his Mida name. Vinci has a first name. Well, <laughs> I love this character, and and just he gave it. There was such gravitas in his performance. Yeah, loved him. Well, loved you him. you you really believed that he had lived all these lives. Yes, and and you know that was what Star Trek, especially the original series, did so well. Is is you know, everyone talks about how operatic and, and kind of over-the-top Star Trek, the original series, could be. But then you get a performance like James Daly's performance. It was not a sonambulistic like Seth Cochran's was in Metamorphosis. Right. But it was it was a great, like, as a kid, I, like, sat up and I knew I had to listen to this guy. You know, and Kirk took him on. And, I mean, it was kind of well, weird you, that he loved his own. You made such a great distinction there, Rob, because... 
you know, we're not doing a list of best episodes. Like, I don't think Requiem for Methuselah would, or as your ex-girlfriends called it, Requiem for the Martians, would um, <laughs> would be would be on our top 101 list. It no. certainly wouldn't be on mine. But we're doing characters, not episodes. Yeah. And I, even though I'm not a fan of Requiem for Methuselah by any means, I definitely agree that Flint is a great character and a fascinating conceit. Which yes. you just articulated and very much belongs on this list. And what's really interesting is the first draft of this script was actually written by Jerome Bixby, mm -hmm. who wrote uh, Mirror Mirror, among others. And he also, Jerome Bixby went on and they adapted later his story, The Man from Earth, where these concepts were revisited. It's an it's a lower lower budget science fiction movie. It's definitely worth seeing. So, you know, humanity. The immortal human is something that's never gone away from our legends. And this was a really great iteration of that so idea. So how would he fare against Sean Connery is the question. Uh, I, you know, there can be only one, Mark. <laughs> he was there Sean Connery. Only one. He was he, Sean Connery. He, he was a good <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was. That, he, he probably was. Um, the quickening. I, I I love this character too, and uh, I love James Daly. Uh, just a little bit of trivia: James Daly is the father of Tyne Daly, who was uh, in Cagney and Lacey. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Well, I will make it four for four. I love Flint, and I actually am quite fond of this episode. Yeah, I mean, half of it's really, really good. I mean, I I love I love watching Spock discover all of these artifacts, and I love how they're looking for Ritalin. <laughs> yeah. But they mispronounce it as right talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the little robot M the M4. Why not? He's great. His M1 through M3 were not entirely successful. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh but yeah, good look. James Daly's great. And it's a it's a great character. And speaking of great characters, Darren, oh, tell I, us. I, oh, sorry, I, I, I just oh, want to say go. that I, I love the fact that Spock recognizes Brahms handwriting. Oh, it's so great. That's so great. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? He's a, he's a, he's a musician. He probably sure. memorized yeah. many, the script of many uh, of the great really composers. Cool I don't know. I've heard him play the old Vulcan heart. I, I think calling him a musician is charitable. Oh. <laughs> um, okay, number 87. Uh, number 87 is, is mine. And uh, this is, uh, this character is interesting because it could be, Actually, one of a few characters that have been mentioned throughout uh, TOS, um, and uh, it is—it uh, could be uh, misconstrued as the blonde lab technician that uh, Gary Mitchell threw at uh, at Kirk uh, before uh, the "Where No Man Has Gone Before." Um, but in her uh, in her final version, uh, she is Carol Marcus. Project Genesis, a proposal to the Federation. Carol Marcus. Yes. What exactly is Genesis? Well, put simply, Genesis is life from lifelessness. It is a process whereby molecular structure is reorganized at the subatomic level into life-generating matter of equal mass. Stage one of our experiments was conducted in the laboratory. Stage two of the series will be attempted in a lifeless underground. Stage three will involve the process on a planetary scale. It is our intention to introduce the Genesis device into a pre-selected area of a lifeless space body, a moon or other dead form. 
the device is delivered, instantaneously causing what we call the Genesis effect. Matter is reorganized with life-generating results. Instead of a dead moon, a living, breathing planet capable of sustaining whatever life forms we see fit to deposit on it. Fascinating. The reformed moon simulated here represents the merest fraction of the Genesis potential, should the Federation wish to fund these experiments to their logical conclusion. When we consider the cosmic problems of population and food supply, the usefulness of this process becomes clear. This concludes our proposal. Thank you for your attention. Dr. Carol Marcus, who uh, led the uh, team that uh, created the Genesis device and uh, let her son go crazy and uh, and do something horrible to make it work. But that's not the topic right now. The topic is that uh, Carol Marcus was uh, sort of that uh, the main woman in Kirk's past that he had a family with, uh, that he agreed to step away from. And uh, she, uh, she still in, you know, in their later years, uh, respected and loved Kirk, but she knew that they would not get along together in life. So she asked him to uh, go his own way. And so he did. Much like Fleetwood Mac. Much like, much like Fleetwood Mac. Um, and, uh, you know, we obviously uh, see their... Uh, their reconnection in uh, Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, and uh, it's a uh, she's a good character. I'm not exactly sure I believe that character, though. You know what? Uh, here's what I think is pretty cool about Carol Marcus. So, and this is just me being meta as shit, but here you've got you know this. She's a she's very clearly she's a very reasonable, rational scientist. But on the other hand, she has this appreciation for beauty, mm -hmm. and she's a humanist. So who did Kirk fall in love with and have a baby? He, he fell in love and had a baby with um, the, 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 with the Tuvics of McCoy and Spock. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you just sort of, like, put them into a transporter and, and they put a like, blonde wig on them. And put a blonde wig on them. <laughs> they came out. <laughs> it's, that's, that's what I like about her. Like, oh, that's yeah, an okay, interesting, that's an interesting point. Uh, and you know it's it's perfectly reasonable to give those characteristics to her um because obviously that is what uh, Kirk would be attracted to and honor and respect um and uh, I think it's uh I think it's a it's a nice sort of uh, aspect to bring her out and have her be the woman from his past um I don't necessarily agree with her motivations but uh, you know, uh, modern, super modern women uh, have their own <laughs> way. Uh, I, I I really like uh, I really like Baby Besh. She did a, a, a lovely uh, portrayal uh, of the character, and uh, she was just sort of rock solid. And Rob, uh, well, Rob remember when um, Samantha Mathis came oh, in yes. to uh, read for um, Claire? And she said, you know, my mother was in Star Trek. And we're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> no, she loved he that knows. we... It Your was mother always... was Malachi Throne? 
It was always <laughs> it was always nice when uh, people would come in and not realize that we really were Star Trek fans. They thought we just had written this script. They didn't quite know the depths, and Shatner was one of depths them. Depths of our depravity. The depths of yeah. our, yes, the depths of our depravity. He didn't know that you didn't just talk the talk. Yes, uh, no, we we didn't. We're still talking the talk, Darren, and it's 25 years since we made that well, movie. In fact, it's been 25 years since we started this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I really like Carol Marcus. Uh, the fan film episode that I directed dealt with uh, their first meeting, and uh, I thought it was, a, it was a, an interesting take on it. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish they had carried her through more movies, but uh, mm-hmm. she sort of just disappeared, and that's a shame. Yeah, kind of got so replaced hard. in Star Trek Four. I was thought that was kind of. I mean, I understand why they did it, but you know. Yeah, we we talked a little bit about this when uh, Gab was on the show, and and uh, um, you know, this is a hard hard Bennett thing, and and uh, I think a lot of us feel it was a mistake. Oh, and yeah. you know, Ashley articulated how he would have brought Carol Marcus back in Star Trek Beyond, and uh, this is really interesting. Uh, uh, really interesting. So, if you're curious about that, you want to go back and listen to the episode where. We have um, Gab Stanton on the show. So um, that brings us to number 86, number 86. And uh, number 86 on our list is uh, Jason Nesmith from Galaxy Quest. No, it's not Jason Nesmith. (laughs) Uh, He's not a Star Trek character. None of this, oh, Galaxy Quest is the best Star Trek movie nonsense. We all love Galaxy Quest, but, you know. Shut up. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, in fact, it's... um, it's the uh, it's the curmudgeonly groundskeeper of Starfleet Academy who offers little wise pearls of wisdom who, who, <laughs> to 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 people as they uh, spend their four years at the academy. And of course, he's also my favorite Martian, Ray Walston, <laughs> as Boothby, the groundskeeper. Boothby. Mm-hmm. Jean Luc Picard. Class of 27. I know that. What happened to your hair? How are you? I'm pretty damn cranky, thank you. I've already replanted this bed four times this week. Let me give you a hand. You? I've acquired an interest over the years. Well, don't plant them too deep. The stems will... Will rot. They had to find and, someone more grizzled than Sir Patrick. And what's really interesting, <laughs> yeah, and what's really interesting is Ray Walston played this character to a T. And when you think about it, he didn't really have that much screen time, and yet he's a remarkably memorable character. And the fact that he, you know, schooled Will Wheaton's crusher for being a disingenuous loser yeah. <laughs> was uh, was an extra bonus for Boothby. Well, part, um, meta. part of the part of the <laughs> reason that the character is so memorable is is that sort of old Orson Welles thing talking about the third man is that everyone's talking about Boothby mm-hmm. before we meet him. Yes. So yes. Uh, so it's it's a big setup for us to have the final reveal, and I think it's great. Yeah, and great casting, great casting, absolutely. You know. And, and we hadn't seen a lot of Ray Walston on screen in a while, and uh, he just nails it. It's it's a shame that we'll never get another performance of Ray Walston. As That's true. That I, I was, was really... so lucky I got to meet Ray Walston on the uh, remake, uh, My Favorite Martian Movie, and he was the sweetest guy ever. So That's so cool. And I didn't so cool. call him Boothby. That's probably for the best. Boothby. So number 85, Robert Meyer Burnett. Here's the surprise. 
you know, this, this, I have to say that this is a character that one of the time worn Star Trek tropes all the way back to the first season of the original series is a transporter malfunction of some kind. And I think one of the best and most memorable is, of course, the enemy within, which splits Kirk into two. Um, now we're going to jump ahead to Star Trek Voyager. Of all the moral and ethical dilemmas that I've heard fans talk about from Star Trek over the years, this episode and this character is surprisingly the one I've talked to more people about than any other moral or ethical dilemma in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And I'm referring to the titular character, Tuvix. Security to the bridge. Commander, you gotta stand by and do nothing while she commits murder. Each of you is going to have to live with this. My colleagues. My friends. Energizing. Tuvix. Tuvix is, of course, a combination of Tuvok, Neelix, and an orchid. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> I know, it's Voyager. It's crazy. So, of course, uh, he is, uh, according to uh, Memory Alpha, he's one-third Vulcan, one-twenty-fourth Talaxian, one-twenty-fourth Mylian, and uh, one-third symbiogenic orchid. And so, of course, Tuvix is a combination of Neelix and Tuvok have been fused together. And the idea is, should he be allowed to live? Or should they figure out a way to unfuse him and try and get their crew members back? And I have to say, that is a, obviously the first, my first response would be, well, of course you have to figure out a way to reverse this. But this is a new being that rightly or wrongly is very intelligent, has the qualities of both Tuvok and Neelix put together. And should they even um, do this? Does Tuvix have a right to exist? And it's a fascinating episode. Uh, the actor, there's, there's an actor named Tom Wright who played Tuvix. I thought I really enjoyed his performance. And I find that this episode, while it is so obviously built on a ridiculous, yeah. very implausible gimmick, um, it's still at its core, has a really interesting ethical dilemma. And I have to say, I've always wondered how interesting it would be. You could never have done this because you've, you're taking two principal cast members off the board. But wouldn't, wouldn't it have been interesting if Tuvix was allowed to remain throughout the entire season? Yeah. Well, it's the whole Tom Riker thing. Yes. You know, wouldn't it have been interesting if Will had died? You had Tom Riker now. Yes. And they of course, wouldn't that have... would have been the same actor, but... Right. But this, and then at the end, maybe the season, and this, this, this dilemma would have played out through the season. I mean, it didn't happen that way, but it's still, it's a fascinating episode. And I found that when you get together with anybody and talk about this, people have very different takes on it. I mean, the obvious answer is to say, well, we want a cast back, of course, but no, not this, necessarily. Well, yeah. I mean, but <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> well, you 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 are bad bad people. Uh -huh. um, but mm -hmm. it, it it is a pretty fascinating episode, and the fact that it can it can spur spur this kind of conversation on is interesting.
It's great. I mean, it's it's all about big ideas. That's what Star Trek big is about. Big ideas. And, and, and if, you know, fueling a discussion about important questions is imperative. And absolutely. And it's really, really interesting. And it's, it's I love this line. Uh, uh, so at what point did he become an individual and not a transporter accident? And that is, that's, a, it's just... This is what Star Trek does great. It can take an outlandish, uh, but here, here's, here's the funny thing. When Star, Star Trek did something outlandish, it made it seem at its best plausible. And then it, if it was so outlandish that it might not have been plausible, then it turned itself or turned this thing into an ethical dilemma that becomes the focus of the episode. And you get one ask and your ask, Star Trek is the, the, the accident itself, the ridiculousness that it was caused by the enzymes of this orchid during transport, which makes really pretty much no sense at all, but you go with it. That's a big ask, but it doesn't matter because the ethical considerations are so interesting that you go with it. I like big asks, and I cannot lie. Everybody's got a big ask, Rob. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about your. I've big always ask. been a big ask man myself. <laughs> totally. Uh, I mean, I think the idea behind this is really interesting. Um, I think that the the question that gets posed is really interesting. I think, as a story, it's a little bit schmuck bait for me because at the end of the day, you know, like you know how this is going to work out, and. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that as as drama, it 100% conveyed as the most you know is the most interesting exploration of that like that ethical dilemma. And uh, you know, but it but it, but it is memorable. I mean, you think about it. Jesus, I just referenced it. I know, like yeah. you know, two people ago. You know, so there's that. It sticks. It definitely sticks. But it's also a good warning to cast members not to get out of line because they can be written oh, yeah. out at any moment. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's really interesting because it's nearly impossible to 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 make a show consistently good that's 26 episodes a year. It's gotten a lot easier with eight and 10 episode orders. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it's no secret. I, I think that Voyager had more misses than hits. But when it did hit, it definitely worked, you know, episodes like Living Witness and Caretaker mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Year of Hell. And I think Tuvix is a good example of where it worked. And it, it asks a very interesting question. There's a great performance. It's a very Star Trekian conceit. And uh, so I'm a fan. I, I think it's a, you know, it's a really compelling character. In fact, you could argue that, that this character had more character development than either Tuvok or Neelix, mm-hmm. uh, yes. you know, uh, in one episode. So that was really impressive as well. It was funny when um, Ed and I first sold our book, The Fifth Year Mission, um, our editor said, oh, I'm a big, a big, big Star Trek fan, big Star Trek fan. And um, I, I said, oh, well, we're going to get along, along great. And he said, yeah, my favorite episode of Star Trek is Tuvix. And I said, well, I'm not so sure we're going to get along great. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you might get along. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not great. <laughs> he's like, what, you don't like Tuvix? I said, no, I like it. But there's, I mean, I love, I love when Tuvix says, uh, each of you is going to have to live with this. And I'm sorry for that, for you're all good, mm-hmm. good people. My colleagues, my friends, I forgive you. Yeah. And that's, and that's Star Trek in a nutshell. That's yep. great stuff. It's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, totally they didn't get to do the uh, sequel uh, episode, which was Neelock, Revix, where it happen- happens oh. again. <laughs> uh, and yet another character is gener- generated from their combination. Number of the counting shall be Tuvix. <laughs> Four is right out. 
And uh, so that's two fix at number 85, which brings us to 84. Ashley, Edward Miller, tell us who's number, who or what is number 84? You know, we just keep pulling these cards that are just near and, and dear to my heart. Another wildly successful relative and another Cisco. Uh, Benjamin Cisco's son, Jake. Jake, you could still have so many years left. No, we have to be together when I die. Jake, you didn't have to do this. Not for me. For you and for the boy that I was. He needs you more than you know. Don't you see? We're going to get a second chance. Jake. My sweet boy. Played actually by two actors, Cyril Clofton and the great Tony Todd, my friend, uh, who was uh, one of the, the voices on my show, Dota Dragon's Blood on Netflix, three seasons, you can catch it now. Um, and uh, look, the great thing about Jake Sisko is that everything that was wrong with Wesley Crusher, that Wesley was a, a Mary Sue, that Wesley knew everything, that Wesley was the very special boy, all of that stuff was thrown out the window. When Jake Sisko was created, Jake Sisko was a real kid. He's a real 15 year old who's experienced a real loss. He lost his mother. He has a real relationship with his father who has a very difficult job. Um, you know, uh, Captain Sisko very clearly loves his son. Um, and, you know, would, you know, move universes for him and, uh, and vice versa. Uh, you know, they sometimes come into conflict. Because Jake, they'll travel oceans of time. Oceans <laughs> of time. Uh, you know, Jake, you know, will act like a real teenager. He'll get in trouble. He will lie. He will dissemble. Um, he has really good reasons for it. But the great thing about it is that he never does dumb kid shit uh, that creates unnecessary problems to to kick episodes in the butt instead jake is treated like a real character he's not a member of the crew um but he is a solid you know episode or b story protagonist um in his own right um he comes into his own and is i, I think in many ways most effective in uh, one of my very favorite episodes of all time you know we've talked about this in some of the, the top 
episode uh, holiday specials, but uh, but DS9's The Visitor, um, which is just a, a heartbreaking, um, just incredible emotional um, exploration of uh, of the lengths that uh, that that people will go to um, when they love each other, when they're afraid of loss, and it's just. He's just a great character. He is incredibly well performed by two different actors. Um, he brings out a side of Captain Cisco that we never see in any other captain. Um, and it is just, it's wonderful. It's a terrific addition to, to Star Trek. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough great things about him. You know what's great? I mean, it, people forget the trope of the sci fi kid was a disaster up until this point. You had Boxy in Battlestar Galactica, you know, Gary Coleman and Buck Rogers, Dr. Z and <laughs> Galactica, and, Buck? and Wesley, you know, in, in next to the genius kid who becomes, you know, a valued crew member because he's smarter than Data, you know? And, uh, and, and finally, with Jake, you have like a real teenager. He gets into trouble. He's smart, but he's not too smart. You know, um, he has friends. He does dumb stuff, but not stupid stuff. He does dumb teenage stuff, not yeah, yeah. dumb show stuff. Right. He doesn't like, you know, run on the lawn and step <laughs> on the grass. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's, it's just such a great character. And Ciroc is, is terrific in the role. And he really grew up in the role and, and his friendship with Nog is something special. His friendship with, um, uh, with, obviously with Avery as, as Cisco. And, you know, for us, it's, it's hard to even grasp. You know, especially in the late the early '90s, what it was like to see an African American father and and son depicted on television. They're not, you know, it's not the Wire. You know, it's 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 you know this loving family who who've lost their you know mother slash wife, and it's 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 just uh, fantastic. And and uh, he's great. The show is great, and it's it's a wonderful character who's served well by the uh, the writing. I totally agree. I, I mean, I, I honestly, the and, and watching him mature to becoming himself a writer, you know, and the way they used him during the Dominion War and and as a it, war correspondent, it, it was really, really, really well done. And it's really one of my favorite episodes is is, is the second season closer, the Gem Hadar, where where you know Jake and 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 Cisco are going to go on a little planet. Fake a jaunt, like, and they yeah, have to yeah, take, yeah. they have to take, um, Nog and they have to take, uh, Quark. And it's, it's even Jake's like, oh, Dad, I know, I know, I didn't want to bring Nog. So he's self aware of, uh, he's very aware of who and what Nog is, but he's friends with him anyway. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and, 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 and they he makes get it. Nog a better Frankie. Yeah, it makes Nog a better Ferengi, and I love the episode where they're trying to get the baseball card, and it's just they in the car it's like Mash yeah. or something. It's great. Yeah, it really yeah. is, and uh, the way he grew up and the the gravitas he had as a character uh, throughout the series was terrific. Well, and what's nice is that whole arc where you know Cisco has left the station; he has been forced away from the station, and so he's part of the Federation fleet that's trying to retake uh, DS Nine and mm -hmm. Federation territory, and Jake is you know, stuck covering the war on the space station. Yeah. And, you know, how, you know, Cisco's so worried about him and, you know, the, how, how, you know, Ducat kind of, like, has a sort of respect for him without 
You know, it's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. And as we were talking about the other day, I think the dynamic of the father and son helped the writers uh, figure out what character uh, that Captain Sisko was. Uh, Commander yep. Sisko. Um, mm-hmm. Because it was only through that that they were able to sort of delineate his character enough so that uh, so that the actor would be interested in doing the show. Um and it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it helped immensely uh, the dynamic of all the characters on there because they sort of got in a role with that uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at 83, um, Brock Peters returns to the countdown in an entirely different role, playing Admiral Cartwright. File station Starfleet Emergency, red alert. Switch power immediately to planetary reserves. Switch it now, Mr. President, even with planetary reserves, we cannot survive without the sun. I'm well aware of that. And Admiral Cartwright was a fascinating uh, character in Star Trek IV. Um, Not really. In Star Trek IV, (laughs) he's part of, uh, you know, high-ranking Starfleet... He's not a Commodore, but he's like a high-ranking chief of, uh, chief of, I don't know what he is, but he's, he's in more Starfleet he operations. He's chief, basically yeah, like the CNO. Starfleet operations. There you go. Yeah. And he, you know, <laughs> was trying to protect Earth and desperate for, uh, uh, to save the Earth. Uh, from basically a, yelling the at marauding people for power. Yeah, but it's Brock Peters, so it's okay. Sounds great uh, sounding yelling. And, 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 and one of, you know, arguably the interesting twists of, um, you know, uh, uh, Nick Meyer brings it back in Star Trek Six, and we learn, spoiler alert, he's part of the conspiracy uh, to undermine the peace between the Klingons and uh, the Federation. And uh, it's like, oh, no, not Brock Peters. And, you know, I wonder if that kind of came as a result of the fact that originally Nick wanted to be Savic. You know, mm-hmm. and then right. when they couldn't, he couldn't get Kirsty uh, and change to Valeris. It wouldn't have the impact. So he's like, okay, well, let's let's take another character that you like, theoretically, Brock Peters, uh, <laughs> right, and make him a traitor. You know, it's not like uh, you know Colonel uh, Colonel South because I, I remember West all those kids bought up all the Admiral Cartwright figures. Oh, I did. come on now. He, look, <laughs> you know what? He brings gravitas. It's Brock Peters. He brings gravitas to the role. It's fine. I and he does as much with right. his screen time, uh, you know, as he can. And, uh, you know, uh, like you said on the last show, it's, it's, he played Darth Vader on the, um, on the Star Wars radio show. And, yeah. and, uh, he, he, he brings a lot of, uh, you know, gravitas to the role. And, 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 and it's an interesting evolution of that character, unless you're Darren. Yeah, he has real presence and charisma. And um, the thing that I think works about him in six is that um, you already you, you already believe him as a Starfleet admiral. And you have yeah. to remember that by Star Trek six, we have gotten into a place in Star Trek where if an admiral shows up, he is fucking crazy. Or <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like, oh no, this one's fine. I always thought it was a missed opportunity that they didn't have a secondary cast of Starfleet officers that maintain continuity through the original series movies. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. It kind of became you had Brock Peters, you had Sarek was, of course, in Star Trek three, four and six. And it, it was it was great to have that. I felt like, you know, we went into the Federation president's office in Star Trek 6 and you saw these familiar guys that they could have done more of that it was it was 
uh, by the time Star Trek VI rolled around, I'd been reading Tom Clancy. I'd read Red Storm Rising and I'd read Hud for Red October. And I'm like, this could have been a, a real Tom Clancy-esque espionage. Like it would have been, been great for a Captain Styles callback. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, well, they, I actually think it would have been great to have Brock Peters instead of Harv Bennett on the screen yeah, in yeah. Star Trek V. That's correct. That would have been great. And in fact, if somebody were to redo Star Trek V, if somebody were going to do a, a director's edition or a, uh, a producer's edition or a, just a special edition, or a, maybe they could get Kirkwood Smith in makeup as an Alfrosian to do that a, call. Afrosian. Alfrosian was like, uh, uh, he was a producer on The Godfather, I to think. Do, uh, to that's do, the Alfresco uh, version. To do uh, a, a communication yeah. with, um, with with Kirk and just get rid of the whole Harv Bennett thing completely. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, because he's not an actor. I love Harv, but he's not an actor and he had no, that's not a cameo role. Hitchcock would get on a bus. Yeah. He would stand at a window. He I want you to go lines. to Nimbus 3. <laughs> and it was just like Harv never acted. It wasn't like he be he started in the actor's studio and then became a writer-producer. Yeah. No, he yeah. was never well, an actor. <laughs> you don't take that kind of role. It was kissing True. up. It was kissing up to the okay. producer. You know it. Yeah. So much kissing. <laughs> so much a kissing. A lot of, lot of KB a lot fiction. Of kissing. KB toys. Okay. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that brings us to number 82 and uh, the great Darren Tauchman. Number 82 is uh, one of my favorites because uh, it allowed the uh, the torrent of uh, fan letters for Mr. Spock to overwhelm the production office and piss Shatner off. Uh, and you're happy about that? Because it's a great in-depth story about the making of this show. The episode I'm talking about is, of course, This Side of Paradise, written by uh, D.C. Fontana, uh, adapting another story uh, to make it about uh, Spock and uh, giving Spock a love story with his long-lost love, Layla Colomi, played by the uh, amazing Jill Ireland. You're no longer with us, are you? I felt something was wrong. Necessary. Come back to the planet with me. You can belong again. Oh, come back with me, please. I can't. said that six years ago and I can't seem to stop repeating myself on earth you couldn't give anything of yourself you couldn't even put your arms around me we couldn't have anything together there we couldn't have anything together anyplace else but we're happy here I, I can't lose you now Mr. Spock I can't um, yeah, Charlie and, Bronson would agree with you. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is uh, obviously that uh, famous story that you guys tell, making uh, Free Enterprise, where you're talking with Bill about the script, and you can say, uh, and Bill said, uh, uh, you said, uh, you know, uh, Spock was on this planet with Jill Ireland, and, uh, and, uh, and 
Shatner stopped you and he said, uh, maybe, uh, she, she died young. Maybe we should, uh, use the character name from that. Maybe you can go to one of those books and look it up. And you immediately drop the, drop the stone on his foot and say, Oh, you mean Layla Kalomi? And then he yep. looked at that's you. That's a true story. That's and we tr- ain't no badly. That's, that's a true story. <laughs> um, but you know what? I think, uh, I've been thinking about this and I think if, uh, if Strange New Worlds knew what they were doing, they would have brought her out of mothballs rather than to pray mm-hmm. and told that story because obviously they want to make Spock the the uh, sex object and the uh, you know the hottie of the week, and that's a perfect way to do it and not have to bring in this baggage from uh, you know already established uh, TOS. Where, you know, now Spock looking at uh, young T'Pring, uh in his quarters on a photograph is creepy. Yeah, it also, it's, it violates canon what they've done. And yeah. you just, you just, look, that would have required them to watch this side of paradise in their rewatch of 10 episodes before they decide to uh, write well. Strange New Worlds. And that never shows up on anyone's list. Anyway, but the the deft handling of uh, if there are self made purgatories, we will have to live in them. <laughs> oh, so good! It, it's so good. You know, he he uh, he tells her that she couldn't pronounce his first name, and uh, and it's it's such a beautiful story and a great character because uh, she you know she was a botanist, she was a scientist, and uh, you could see that uh, she was the kind of uh, woman that. Spock would be attracted to because she's not only smart, but she's uh, very uh, uh, loving. And uh, let's say maybe he uh, is reminded of his mother. I don't know. But you know uh, what, though? I have to say that this is, I've said this before. I'll say it again. The women of Star Trek shaped, obviously shaped my preferences when I was a child as an adult. Yeah. And that character of Leela Kalomi. You know, Star Trek is accused nowadays of being sort of this misogynist throwback. But when you see characters like Leela Kalomi, she is such a fully realized woman, such a Mm -hmm. soulful character where you, we, the audience, absolutely recognize why Spock would be in, in love with her if he was able to. Uh, didn't fall in love with her in that episode. Yeah, everybody <laughs> did. Everybody did. And she is so vulnerable and strong at the same time. Mm-hmm. My God, what a what what a terrific depiction. And this was not what you would normally see on and this is a first season Star Trek episode. It goes along with, with Edith Keeler. We met people like mm-hmm. Edith Keeler later in the season. Yeah, all and of with, all of Kirk's exes are strong, smart women. But also, I mean, with Leela Clomy being Spock, you know, yeah. the, the, they, the depiction of, of women on, especially the first season of Star Trek was atypical for TV at the time. You know what else I noticed? Sorry. Watching Pluto this week, where he's watching all the episodes <laughs> in order was, yeah, this, this actually points this is how good the show looked first season mm-hmm. when they had more time. Mm. I mean, the, the, the direction and the cinematography. Is extraordinary. Like Miri is an episode I don't particularly like, but oh my god, does it look good? Is it yeah. well directed? Well directed. By the way, is Pluto a real network? <laughs> you know, it's only a dwarf 
That there's only a dwarf number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I had to ask. <laughs> Beware the dwarf streamer. Like, and I mean, I don't watch anything with commercials. I mean, I pay for Peacock without ad free. So what the hell do I know? But, but I was Pluto, talking I, with some. I was talking with someone online today in a couple messages, and uh, I realized that you know what? I don't mind the commercial breaks because that's how we were introduced. No, to it. I, I mind. I mind because I want to get back to the show. I want to get back. Plus, they keep showing the same commercials over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Now, over do they show the commercial breaks? But have the complete episode. Like yes. they don't have they stuff do cut have out. The, from yeah, they have the complete episode. Yeah, because they have a lo lower commercial load yeah. than uh, broadcast TV. And I mean, because there are only so many commercials you can show for Rick Caruso during a commercial break. <laughs> so um, it, it's it's very interesting because it's, it's some real like ridiculous commercials that they show. But um, uh, and there are a lot of Paramount Plus commercials, so clearly they're not selling everything. But um, but oh my! But it's, it's fun because you're you're not you're watching them in order, and you're watching them like you used to watch them as a kid, mm -hmm. and um, and and the streaming quality is pretty good, you know. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it's the the new effects rather than the original effects. Um, it is what which it is. really don't hold up. But that's a whole another conversation. Um, and of course, people we love did them, so I, I really don't want to um get into that. I mean, they worked with the best tools I and mean, they did the best they could they were in uh, insurmountable this, uh situation yeah. Yeah. they were not yeah exactly and the odds um, were against them and the situation was grim yeah yeah but um but but it's so much fun to sit there and just watch episode after episode after episode and but it was it's really clear watching the first season how good the show is i mean how good looking the show is yeah. yep. and 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 you know to watch some of these episodes that um we wouldn't uh, necessarily um, hold on. My daughter is getting tickets for Taylor Swift. I she has a presale quote. I ha I have to deal with this. Keep talking. Keep talking. Well, I was going to say one of the great, another great thing. I mean, we're we're spending a lot of time in this particular episode, but um, the first season had a lot of times when they went on location. Yeah, and even though I mean, this was such a. It's a colony, you know, it's a colony world. So it could look like prefab. It could look like very simple buildings. So it didn't, it never bothered me, even as a kid, that clearly they're shooting on some very terrestrial some Western, 20th century Western, Western set, set yeah. because they were wearing these overalls that were these uniform. They were, the, these overalls were all uniform, but they didn't look like just, you know, oak. Uh, Oki dot whatever those things were called that everybody wore as a kid. Oshkosh bagosh. Oshkosh, yeah, what, yeah, Oshkosh. <laughs> they didn't yeah. look like that, and 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 that gave it that futuristic. Well, they feel. looked like the jumpsuits that uh, Roger Corby was wearing. Well, they certainly looked like that, but I felt like those were Federation issue, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. They, 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 they were when you were when you were out overalls. The, yeah, that's right. They're the perfect wear for uh, hanging in trees and yelling and laughing and yeah. getting replaced by an android. I, I'm back. Sorry. Welcome I back. Just, I just, uh, you know, I, the, the seamless uh, the pre transition, the pre-sales for uh, Taylor Swift. And, and this is the, the one thing that my daughter really wants for Hanukkah. So um, uh, I had to, I had to get on it immediately. Oh, you and your parenthood. So anyway, <laughs> we, you know, so, okay. Well, so, so that was Leela Colomi. This Leela brings Colomi. us to Ashley Edward Miller, number 81. And we're back, uh, back in deep space nine land. And speaking of crazy admirals, actually, uh, number 81 is, is an admiral. It is true, but he is not crazy. And, um, well, he does things that are questionable. He, at least from his point of view, may not be wrong. 
Admiral well, that's Layton. how Admiral Cartwright felt. Yeah, exactly. Admiral Layton, uh, played by the great Robert Foxworth, uh, is the former commanding officer of Benjamin Sisko, the man who gave him the recommendation to take command of Deep Space Nine. The president will have all the evidence he needs to stop you. It's over. It's not over! I have enough loyal officers to make a fight of it. Who will you fight? Starfleet? The Federation? Don't you see, Admiral? You're fighting the wrong war! And as for your loyal officers, Benteen's already abandoned you. And she was closer to you than anyone. You've lost. Don't make anyone else pay for your mistakes. Um, Admiral Layton comes to believe that Starfleet Command and the Federation have been overtaken by changelings. And he sets out to resolve that by launching a coup against the uh, Federation government. And he, he sets into motion uh, a series of events designed to support uh, his efforts to to make that happen. And of course, um, he ends up coming into conflict with uh, with Captain Sisko in the course of all this. Um, but what's great about Layton is, number one, he does feel like a real military man and not like in a caricature way. He feels like, um, you know, naval officers that I have met. Uh, he is decent. He is smart. Um, he is dedicated to a particular ideal. And what is truly terrific about Deep Space Nine is that I think it is, look, we can sit back and we can judge Layton as the, as the antagonist of these episodes, as the force of opposition, however you want to say it. But we saw later Benjamin Sisko um, make choices that were equally as uh -huh. difficult and potentially as horrifying as the choices uh, that Layton made. Um, the difference being that Leighton's paranoia was overstated. Um, and, um, you know, in the end, you know, it's, it is a, it's a bittersweet victory. And I think that that is a, a testament to kind of how well drawn that character is, to how well drawn, um, the conflict is. You know, we, we mentioned this before talking about, you know, Joseph Cisco, um, referring to the number of, you know, referring to how you would disguise a changeling or the number of changelings on Earth and the revelation that the changelings managed to manipulate Leighton and manipulate all of these things into happening to have the Federation fall in against itself by placing only three changelings on Earth. And it's just, it's a, it's a terrifying moment. It's, um, it's a great moment for Star Trek. But again, like, this is just a great, character. I believe him. Um, I believe that he had a, a career and a life before he walked into this episode. And that to me is like, is the mark of a, uh, of a great um, Starfleet guest star, particularly one who is going to play the role of the antagonist Starfleet officer. I totally agree with you. And, and like you said, he felt like a, he felt believable. You know, I mentioned earlier that I, during the time, one of one of the things that was going on that I really liked was there was sort of like Paramount was putting out the um, Tom Clancy movies, you know, Hunt for October, Patriot Games, and they did a lot of military thriller type movies that I always enjoyed, and um, Home Homefront and Paradise Lost, that two part of it introduced this character, 
felt like that. It felt like it was inspired by the great seven days in May, you know, the military that Frank and I were from the 60s. It felt like a great military thriller. There was even um, our beloved Wise Guy series. <laughs> yeah, um, the DC arc. The, the DC arc, you know, yeah. day one, did day three. Did you get three. the Blu-ray? Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. It's right here. Um, uh, the it, it felt like that. And I really liked the fact that Foxworth's performance was so great. If they hadn't, it could have gone the wrong, it could have gone the other way, but they did a very good job in Deep Space Nine, especially in the latter seasons of casting these military guys. And I, I really loved that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of people, including me, probably bemoan the fact that there was never a sequel to Conspiracy, you know, that wonderful mm -hmm. first season episode with the parasites. But um, Homefront is a spiritual successor to Conspiracy. Yeah. Yes, for, um, for it, sure. It, it, it's very much, you know, the, the whole thing of the changelings or, you know, taking over Earth and then it could be anyone or anywhere. And um, just what a great uh, Robert Foxworth, who, of course, was so wonderful in Quester Tapes for Gene, um, is just wonderful in this role. And it's so great to see him uh, in this uh, in Star Trek. And uh, he was terrific. And I, I, I only wish we could have seen more of him. Absolutely. Yeah. Which brings us to uh, back to Robert Meyer Burnett and number 80. Well, you know, one of the things that obviously Star Trek brought the world were Vulcans. It brought and the world order. And, oh, the, 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 <laughs> and I think obviously one of the one of the great things about the original series is almost without exception, the main Vulcan characters were always exceptional and the performances were terrific. Um, Celia Lofsky is Tapau. And of course, Mark Leonard, the great Mark Leonard is Sarek. Even um, um, Arlene Martel playing Tapring. And even the actor they found to play Ston, who we saw in Balance oh, of Terror. Montague, Leonard. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lawrence he, Montague. Montague. Lawrence Montague, he looked kind of like like Mark Leonard in a way. And, mm. and there was, uh, at, yet after that, the people that they would cast as Vulcans were not, it was always very hit and miss for me. Um, although I think that Star Trek in the latter seasons added two Vulcan main characters that I really enjoyed as Vulcans. One was Tim Russ, mm -hmm. you know, as, as Tuvok in Voyager. I really loved how he played a Vulcan. His yeah. intonations and his speech patterns, and he really made it his own. He, he was well, the he was first actor. He was the first actor to get it. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, and he, I will... he loved Star Trek. Yeah. So he got it. He knew what it was. You weren't playing an emotionless character. You, well, yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, the, the what people have never understood, and and I hate this, is this idea that Vulcans don't have emotions, which is completely untrue. Yeah. If you pay Stupid. attention to Star Trek, they explain that, you know, uh, even in Star Trek, the motion picture, our, our, which by the way, also had great Vulcans. Uh, I, we cast our animal passions out on these sands. I mean, they're still there. They've just learned control through the application of Surak's teachings. And well, he got the same shit that Toussaint got on House of the Dragon. They're like, oh, there are no black Vulcans. It's like, why not? Apparently they are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah, ridiculous. I mean, it, it, if you really think about it, uh, pigmentation is caused by uh, environmental conditions, and theoretically, all Vulcans might be black. Really, yeah, it's such an absurd thing that, that people get upset over this stuff. Yeah, it's it's and, and but he was terrific. I, I loved, him. but yeah. so when I heard about the cast of Enterprise and saw who they'd cast, and they were going to bring on board a Vulcan, and this Vulcan was 
admittedly smoking hot. And I, I was, I was like, uh, hot I, as Vulcan. I, now I know what that phrase hot, means. Hot as Vulcan. <laughs> oh, wow. And I, you know, I was dubious. And I have to say, I also think Jolene Blaylock turned out to be one of the great Vulcan characters. Totally. In Star Trek. Something tells me you're not here to talk about movie night. I'm going through something that's very complicated. I know. I'm learning, it seems, for the first time, what it truly means to be Vulcan. Maybe you can fill me in. Not until I understand it myself. I don't think there will be time for... What do you want me to say? That you understand. I do. It's not like I didn't know this was coming. She was... Uh, from the beginning, obviously, uh, they, the way they played the distrust between the Vulcans and the humans and how the Vulcans were suppressing the human advancement uh, into space via warp travel and all of that. And they, the way they cast her in this sort of adversarial role, I thought she played this role from the get. She was great. And and yes, she was beautiful, but she her performance uh, punched way past that that overt physical beauty that she carried with her and she really cuz she liked star trek too you know she was she was a fan of this kind of thing and she really understood how to play i mean i like robin curtis but her performance in star trek 3 she's not a great vulcan or Vulcan Romulan. I know she's a fan of the show and everything, and I, I really like her because I liked her playing another Vulcan, a full Vulcan, in in uh, Gambit. Yeah, she's really you know, good and, in Gambit. And she's she? really good in Gambit. Like, yeah. she's really terrific. She learned. Um, she was properly directed. <laughs> probably, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I think Jolene Blaylock is one of the great Vulcans in Star Trek, and her arc and her affection and, and relationship with Trip uh, Tucker... I thought was terrific and the way she would play certain things like when she was in the expanse and was addicted to that mineral and had to get off of it. She had got to do a lot of really interesting things in the show. And I think she was definitely one of the high points of enterprise. And, um, I, I, I have nothing but great things to say about and her. She as knows a how to handle decontamination, Joe. Oh, she <laughs> certainly <laughs> does. She certainly does. But she was a great addition to that cast. She's another one of these actors who who grew into the role, much like Terry did. You yeah. know, just got better and better as she went along. And you know, obviously, she was dealing with a lot at the time. And uh, but she's she's very good in the show. She she also was a fan of the original, yep. and she was frustrated yep. with some of the scripts and some of the material she was given. But um, I think she does a great job as as a Vulcan, and. Um, uh, you know, I, in fact, I came very close to, to using her in something. Uh, uh, and uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, it didn't happen. But I, I think Jolene's terrific. And I'd love to see, you know, her uh, in more things, you know. But I think uh, she's married to some billionaire now. So I don't know, you know, how interested What's she her is motivation? in acting. So, um, but she's, uh, but she's, she's terrific. And, and if uh, there, you know, there ever is some kind of uh, resurrection of Enterprise, I certainly hope that she would be a part of it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to number 79. 
And uh, people who knew Ira Graves was to know him, was to love him, was to know him. <laughs> and uh, it, it's really one of the great uh, scenes in a not so great episode. The episode, of course, is Schizoid Man. And it marked the first appearance of Susie Plaxon as the uh, Lieutenant Salar from, right? <laughs> yeah. Go on, gorgeous. Spit it out. Whatever the hell it is, I can take it. I've checked twice to make certain. You have Darnay's disease. I'm sorry, Dr. Graves. It's in its final stage. Can you do something for him? In all cases, Darnay's is terminal. And also another solid performance is a Vulcan. And I think the reason she yep. makes her list is because there's so many bad Vulcan performances in Star Trek post TOS. Um, you know, as much as we love Next Gen, as much as we love Deep Space Nine, it was very rare to find an actor who either got it or was directed correctly. Or the, yeah, yeah, the combination mm -hmm. of actor and, and director. You know, certainly we work. mentioned uh, uh, Tim Russ who was great in Voyager. Um, uh, obviously, uh, um, uh, Jolene was wonderful in Enterprise. And another actor who got it was Susie Plaxon as Lieutenant Salar in The Schizoid Man, who yes. uh, also uh, gets to act alongside the great, and I don't think he made our list, um, uh, the great Morgan Shepard. Right. Uh, which a terrific actor who not only played Ira Graves, but went on to play the commandant of Verapente. And I, I, I recently, finally, after 30 years, finally watched The Keep, Michael ah. Mann's The Keep on <laughs> Criterion. And he is, uh, even with Ian McKellen and, and, and uh, Scott Glenn and um, uh, um, who else is in that? This, this is an amazing cast. Um, Morgan Shepard. Oh, and Jurgen Prock now. Morgan Shepard's the best thing in it. Testing it, barely in it, but totally as he always did, makes such a great impression. Maybe I I, we should have picked uh, Morgan Shepard. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I, I kind of like that episode, by the way, for the record. Yeah, yeah. I kind of do too. And Brent's good in it. Yes. You know, he's 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 possessed by the by by uh, Doctor, you know, by Doctor Graves, and you know, trying to pass himself off, and right. it's just this incredible ego. That uh, that he has. It's 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 a uh, it's a fun episode. And the it, title pays homage to the great Patrick Magoon's The Prisoner. Well, yes, because right. Tracy Torme, who wrote it, was a huge fan of The Prisoner. So not the wine, but the show. Who is Sorry, number? Yeah. Who is number? Who is number one? A writer. Okay. Oh so that brings us to Darren Document and number seventy-eight. This character is from. She uh, appeared in two episodes, I believe. One before this, in a in a much smaller role. Um, but this uh, was the episode that she was okay. actually allowed to do. Goodbye, me. In. What, Ash? Oh, just every. I thought you were freezing. I think it was me. Ah, okay. Thank Wait, you. None of go. us are freezing now. Tech officer, tech officer. Tech officer. Um, uh, it is the, in fact, from uh, one of my uh, guilty pleasure episodes, The Game. Uh, and uh, it is uh, Ensign Robin Leffler. Law one, you can only count on yourself. Law 17, when all else fails, do it yourself. That's law 36. You got to go with what works. That's law 46. 
Life isn't always, always fair. fair. Don't forget Law 91. Always watch your back. Robin's Laws, all 102 of them. Law 103? Yes. A couple of light years can't keep good friends apart. Played by the luminous Ashley Judd. And uh, I really, I fell for her uh, in this episode big time. Because uh, she has that, uh, you know... Uh, Sprightly girl next door, uh, yet uh, smart-alecky uh, attitude. And uh, she was great. And Wesley was a, a loser. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I, am I the only one who walked away from that episode thinking, can we just swap out Wesley yeah, for Robin exactly. Leffler? Exactly. Oh, no, yeah. You, you weren't the only one. Yeah, yeah. okay. Totally. Um, Leffler's laws. That's correct. Yeah, uh, yeah it, she it, doesn't it, make much of an impression in Darmok, but she sure does in the game. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, look, uh, she obviously is uh, uh, related to the Judd and <laughs> the other Judd. <laughs> That's a... Uh, Judge Reinhold? Yeah. No, 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 no. That's a that's a Gary Shandling uh, reference uh, yes. from the Larry Sanders show where Hank uh, introduced uh, Winona Judd as the Judd. Oh, I want to, you know, I want to get this group of people, the four of us, together on, on Deck 78, because I want to talk about that Alan Siepenwall 100 best TV series of all time and, and make some revisions from, from us. Mm, okay. Uh, can, I think that would be a fun episode. We can definitely do that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Robin Leffler is, uh, is teamed up with Wesley in this episode and they, uh, they find out the secret to this insidious game that is taking over, uh, like the internet, uh, to uh, all the crew and making them into zombies. Uh, I don't actually know what the, uh, what the end game is for this, uh, game. Um, it's the 21st really century TikTok. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really make, uh, much sense, but, uh, you know, it's a fun, uh, little adventure. And uh, she and Wesley uh, figure out how to um, how to trick the parents and uh, and get out from uh, uh, being attacked by our main crew members. And uh, uh, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. And uh, she's uh, she's great. I, I really enjoy her portrayal. She just you know, I think the reason that we're drawn to her, there are a couple of these supporting characters like um, Lucia Naff uh, from um, Total Recall, who who came in and were only in a couple episodes, and yet we remember them so fondly yeah. because they wrote them with a personality. Right. Yeah. And a lot of these supporting characters were super flat. They as were just exposition to, delivery machines. As opposed to the ensign that helps uh, Commander Riker find out where Commander Data is. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Show me. Tell me, <laughs> but but you know, I think whenever they gave them a little spice and a little personality, yeah. you know, and and when, and clearly, when they were, I don't know, written, right. yeah, Sonia Gomez, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I was talking about. Lisa Naff was Sonia yes. Gomez, right? And um, uh, you know, also you see what happens in the hands of a very capable actress, because of course, um, uh, the Judd went on to a very <laughs> successful cinematic career. Absolutely. And uh, so even in the small role, she really shines. Totally. Yeah. And that brings us back to Ashley Edward Miller, number 77, as we come close to the ending, the second part of our 9,000-part episode. My but right now, we wait on number 77. Ashley Edward Miller, tell us who it is. Coming in at number 77 is a character who I, I think was best described as the captain was strong. 
Captain Clark Terrell. Sir, it is difficult. I I tried to obey, but kill him. I... Captain Shaka when the walls fell. Captain Shaka when the walls <laughs> fell. Played by Paul Winfield, captain of the USS Reliant, before he was unceremoniously replaced by Khan Noonien Singh. Now, there are a lot of reasons why one could perhaps be critical of the service record of Captain Clark Terrell. I mean, after all, he did get his ship taken over. He beamed down to a planet with just Chekhov, which one should never do. Especially if you've seen any of the TOS episodes. Yeah, exactly. I try to obey, but it is difficult. <laughs> difficult. Um, I mean, he had a rough week, man. Maybe we weren't catching him at his best. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing that makes Captain Terrell a badass. I mean... He got the thing in his ear. That had to hurt. That sucked. He lost his <laughs> ship. He lost his crew. All these things that would get him court-martialed very, very bad. He left him on the fourth planet. He did. But when push came to shove, he made the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. And I say this seriously. He made the ultimate sacrifice to save everyone. Yep. Like, uh, he like put a phaser to himself and pulled the trigger. Because the rather captain than, was strong. Because the captain was strong. Yeah. Um, so all respect to Captain Terrell, and there is there is no dishonor in getting bested um, by the superior intellect. But you're right. In in almost every other scene, it it's kind of interesting to see how he reacts as captain. It seems like he's never been in a captain's chair before. Yeah, he seems very confused yeah, about like, the whole captain. Don't thing. tell me you found something. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I beg to differ. I, no, I think I, one look, of the things I love, I love him. Yeah, we're, I love we're, we're, him, we're overselling the point for comedy. But yeah. I think one of the great things about the original series is that when you met the other captains, they usually were pretty uh, they strong. They were awful. Or, no. or crazy. No, a lot of them were crazy, but they made impress. <laughs> Morgan Woodward is Captain Tracy. Oh, on the show, you, yes. you know. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking the about show. the movie other characters. No, that but that's right because the the, the characters on the uh, in the TV show there were some other great captains. It yes. was you know William Wyndham obviously is Decker. They were all very damaged, but they were they were powerful, right? Then yeah. you get to uh, motion picture movie we all love, but let's admit it. You know, uh, Commodore C Commander Branch on the uh, Epsilon Nine is nothing <laughs> to write home about. He doesn't really make much of an impression. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was so nice in Star Trek Two to suddenly see. Yeah. What at least I perceived as a, a capable, semi-charismatic mm -hmm. captain at the helm, which would Absolutely. always be the case going forward in the Star Trek movies. No. Well, also, you know, and that was sort of also defined by the relationship he had with Chekhov, because even in their brief scenes, does it have to be completely lifeless? You know, they had a playful, yeah. they had a playful, respectful rapport, and it, it seemed like the Reliant would be a fun ship to be on. <laughs> <laughs> Until it all goes horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we never find out what happened to poor Styles. <laughs> oh, man. How can we have a red alert in space stop? <laughs> no, 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 not that Styles. <laughs> oh, my bad. Oh, yeah. no, the, the Styles from TOS, the transporter yeah. oh, operator. Oh, right. Now the, yeah. Uh, oh, shit. You're right. Officer. He was under reliant. Yeah. Yeah. I know, oh, which was another poor nice styles. touch. Exactly. I, 
Uh, I never just, forget a face. He's <laughs> a lot better than those awful people on, on in Star Trek Three on the Grissom. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> the worst, <laughs> the absolute worst. No, Terrell was cool. I would have watched a TV series with Kevin Terrell's I check totally on Calvin around the galaxy because it would be a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Every episode he encounters something he's never seen before. And he has no idea what to do with. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jonas Grundy was a captain too. That's right. What the hell is that? <laughs> he has his hat. He just, he just hits Chekhov in every episode. Chekhov! Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because originally, obviously, in the early scripts, uh, Sowards and, and Peoples, it was Sulu was the captain and Chekhov was his first officer. Yeah. It's much more interesting to have it be Terrell. And Walter never would have gone along with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah, I know. And you can't blame Shatner for that one, right? Not at all. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. We like Captain. Right, Rob. We like Captain Terrell. We do. We we really do. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So, uh, Darren, uh, coming in number seventy six. Uh, we got uh, a little uh, a, a character who's a little larger than life. Sometimes uh, God doesn't necessarily need a starship, and this <laughs> this is one of those cases where. Uh, we actually meet uh, an alien who could probably have been mistaken for a god by the ancient uh, humans. Uh, it probably. Is I loved you. I would have made a goddess of you. I've shown you my open heart. See what you've done to me. Aphrodite, you were right. Athena, you were right. The time has passed. There is no room for gods. Forgive me, my old friends. Take me. Wish we hadn't had to do this. So do I. They gave us so much. The Greek civilization, much of our culture and philosophy came from a worship of those beings. The way they began the golden age. Would it have hurt us, I wonder, just to have gathered a few laurel leaves? What? Okay, that's how it happened. But uh, <laughs> according to this story, I am Apollo. Showtime. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and uh, look, uh, played by the great Michael Forrest, uh, so Apollo good. is so freaking good. Um, he is uh, he is calm on the outside, but inside rages a uh, a horrific storm, and uh, he just wants to be worshipped. He just wants to get laid. So a little wrong. Bit. And, and yeah. get laid. Yes, it's been, it's been a while. Got he's a great. A, he's got know, great taste he in ladies taste, too. Absolutely. 
Um, Leslie Parrish. He's a big fan of the Manchurian Candidate, as we know. Later <laughs> married correct. Richard Bach. <laughs> That's correct. The author of um, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Yes. Thank you. This is my spot. Now. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> this is your spot? <laughs> uh, look, the, uh, the, uh, the back and forth that we get between Apollo and Captain Kirk uh, make it uh, so much fun to watch. And it just shows you that he's preparing for Star Trek V by learning how to talk to a god. And uh, so he's been around that rodeo before. Um, he is, uh, uh, Apollo is uh, an incredibly uh, moving character because you realize that he is the last of his kind and he doesn't, he doesn't have anywhere to be now. And it's uh, incredibly sad when he is taken by the uh, by the elements at the end. Heartbreaking, isn't it's it? It's heartbreaking uh, because he was the one. He was the one who loved the Earth the most because he was waiting for them to come back. Uh, and uh, and luckily he got to see that day. But it wasn't everything he expected. And would it have been so difficult to collect a few laurel leaves? Yeah, but that gets boring so. real fast. Well, yeah. How dare you? <laughs> well, you know who would have loved to have lived there? Dr. Severin and his followers. Well, this is true. If only they could have found, because I think they all could have reached together. Yeah, yeah they, could, they could have reached. They could have reached. They sang songs. Yeah, yeah. That, would have been, that would have been great. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We talked about this. Not an episode I loved as a kid. I, I I always you know when I saw that giant hand I always but you was have like, a new oh. appreciation for but it but I have a new appreciation for it because it really it's Michael Forrest because it was two things I didn't like I, I it was kind of silly it was kind of like now I'm like oh they spent so much money on this episode with the effects and why this one and uh, and then the third thing is it was a Scotty romance so I yeah, hated that well, you know I I never I've never no I, Scotty none of the none of the, the Scotty romances have worked you know keep him down on the engine engine yeah. room I don't but need you know to what though him. you know what I loved about this it wasn't really a Scotty romance because she was she was she was totally him at bay. she wasn't yeah. having it yeah no yeah. and and I love even as a kid I'm like oh I get it. This is how women act when you love them and you follow them around like and little puppy no dogs. They have no interest in you, but they're still nice. Yeah, yeah. This right. was an important yeah. lesson to learn for all you dudes out there. <laughs> could have called friend that episode Scotty. the friend zone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really funny. But but even that, you know, even though her new bow was an actual god, that sh that wasn't still enough for her. <laughs> so you know, what are you going to do? She was very fickle. She well, he just had no fickle. game. That was the problem. And, and by the way, she fucked him. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. She absolutely did. Well, I mean, that you know? scene, even though it was cut, is canon because it was written, it was yeah. filmed. Yeah. It just didn't make the episode. No. And I, I'm like, you go, girl. 23rd century and all. See, now, has anyone ever followed up on that? Like, her giving birth to a god? Like, did no, but that, I'm sure somebody just whoever listened to this episode is now jotting it down and is calling, you know, whatever Star Trek licensee book thing they're going to write this. Oh my God, if they were still making fan films, there must there, there must be some comic story that Apollo comes back and there's how a could they not? How well, could they, you? They did that on uh, Star Trek Continues. They have an episode where Apollo comes back. Played yeah, by Apollo Michael comes Forrest. back. Yeah, yeah. But but the, but, but they, they don't deal have, with the pregnancy. But we don't want to see Apollo come back. We want to see her have the baby. Yeah, we that's want to not, see her. That's not going to happen. What if the baby was played by Leslie Parrish? Have <laughs> Lieutenant Palamas have Apollo's baby? That's and, interesting. and Leslie Parrish's baby in the world could meet Spock's baby from all our yesterdays. Oh my God. And Zara, no, Bandana. not from Star from, from Star Trek Three. 
Oh, there's a, Spock's got multi, but and Crispin's Spock, Star Trek. No, and now we're creating a race of super soldiers. There you Spock go. Has a now we've got a eugenics program. He got more time he did Pon Far. Every time he did Pon Far, there was a kid. Yeah. 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 So, Who knows? Maybe Leela Kalama got sniped up in this side of Who paradise. Who knows? Maybe. She totally did. She can Hell be yeah. again. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> okay, well, before we get ourselves canceled, let's move on to uh, number 75. And Rob Meyer Burnett, if you take us home at the end of part two, uh, number 75, who will it be? Well, this was a very interesting character that uh, was introduced into Star Trek in the latter half of the third season of Next Generation. And interestingly enough, uh, there's only one credited writer on this episode. And that is Sally Caves, which is actually the pen name of Sarah Higley, who is a science fiction writer and a professor of English at the University of Rochester. Hmm. How she got to write this episode, don't know. Now I want to find out because I don't know. But I'm, of course, talking about somebody who is now looked upon as a uh, a depiction of what would what what is the proper term, but a. a, a, a an ind- no, well, an ind- <laughs> no, an individual that's on this maybe on the spectrum, on the spectrum a little uh, bit, many different things. Basically, really, an audience surrogate. Well, yeah. What what Sally <laughs> yeah. Caves? What what this Higley said is that this character is a Star Trek fan. Yeah, she was writing the depiction of a Star Trek fan as a character, and that's of course mm-hmm. Reg Reginald Barkley. I don't know. There's a, a part of this that's kind of therapeutic. Maybe you want to talk to Counselor Troy about it. It's, it's, uh, I'm, when I'm in there, I'm just more comfortable. You, you don't know what a struggle this has been for me, Commander. Well, I'd like to help if I can. Being afraid all of the time of forgetting somebody's name, not, not knowing what to do with your hands. I mean, I, I am the guy who writes down things to remember to say when there's a party. And then when he finally gets there, he winds up alone in the corner, trying to look comfortable, examining a potted plant. You're just shy, Barkley. Just shy. Sounds like nothing serious, doesn't it? You can't know. Played by the great Dwight Schultz. And and what's dun, interesting? Dun, 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 what's so dun, interesting dun, about? Dun, dun. I mean, yeah, you want to love this character. But now, especially now in this day and age, there's a big creep factor. I to love this. it when a fan comes together. Oh man! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, he's recreating the our, our main crew on the holodeck. This episode's called Hollow Pursuits, and there's something. There's an underlying. I think this episode has a new meaning today than it did when it first came out, because when it first came out, it was he was kind of this troubled guy. He was a brilliant guy. He had a, 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 a he was he was known for his brilliance as an engineer. He was leading and, a life of quiet desperation. Yes, he was, and he was already on the Enterprise. He wasn't yeah. a new character that he already worked for Jordy in engineering. We just had never met him before, and um, he was shown as being very capable. But he had this rich fantasy life where he spent more time with his characters, these unreal characters, or based on real people, but they were all his made up fantasies, right. and it was. You know, I never really liked this episode very much when I first saw it. But what's interesting about this character is he became a semi-regular 
and he he was with us all the way up to the end of Voyager to uh, Voyager mm-hmm. Endgame. And he became, you know, he was one of the people that was able to allow Voyager to contact Earth. He's in first contact. He's in yeah. first contact. And he became sort of this great secondary character that became sort of lovable. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I liked him because maybe at first he was supposed to be a Star Trek fan, but then he was also somebody that overcame his difficulties and he was able to continue on and learn to work with people and became sort of this, especially the relationship he had with Deanna Troy was, was really great. And it, it was, it, again, it showed Star Trek's depiction of a character, a person you might not like when you first meet them. And then it showed how when you get to know somebody and you get to understand their gifts, that they can actually be an asset. I mean, that's what this episode was really yeah. all about. And I even loved how there's a great scene where uh, Riker, they they think he's kind of a lost cause. And it's Picard who says something to the effect of, well, then make him a good cause. It's yeah. up to you. It's up to us to make sure that he does his job and he fits in with the crew. It's up and to I, us to do something with Lieutenant Brockley. Yeah, but, yes. <laughs> um, but I like that. I mean, it would, it, it, he's a character that could have been annoying in any other TV show, but in a Star Trek series, they made him somebody who was vital and necessary. Yes. And I, I, I really like that. Well, they I probably I, would have killed him off in modern uh, shows. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and the, yes, he would have begged for his life from a young female commander and she would have said, shut up. I don't want to hear. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I gotta disagree with you because I, I kind of liked Hollow Pursuits. I thought it was a really interesting uh, examination of the dangers of virtual reality when virtual reality was kind oh, of in its infancy. Oh, I agree. I just meant I didn't like it at the time when it first oh, okay. started. And I yeah. also feel like that whole goddess of empathy stuff is really funny, where yeah. he creates Troy on the holodeck, which is exactly probably what would happen. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, well, now yeah. we live in a world where it does. Yeah. And it can. It's like he idolizes her and tells you a lot. Um, uh, Barclay himself, notwithstanding. And by the way, I love the fact that, you know, this character is like shown capable of, of actual growth yeah. as a yes. human being. Yes. Um, because of where they start him, right? He does, Because he doesn't start as a perfect Starfleet officer, they don't have to find like his little flaws and then sort of gradually, you know, adjust him until like those little flaws don't mean anything. He starts off very flawed. And then becomes Which very was rare functional. on that. You didn't see that on Next Gen. No, exactly. And it was terrific. But I also, you know, would like to wax poetic a little bit about Dwight Schultz. He's another actor who I was uh, very privileged to uh, to work with on Dota. Um, and um, his he his capability as an actor is just staggering. Um, the way that he can find colors um, in a character in a line, um, how generous uh, he was, uh, you know, with Laura Pulver, who was in my cast, um, but uh, how generous he was with other actors, um, you know, how he just collaborated in those performances. Like, that, this guy is, like, you know, Barclay is 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 kind of a goof, and, and Murdoch is crazy in the A-team. Um, but but Dwight Schultz is the, is the real deal. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, I think a, a large part of why Barclay works is because Dwight Schultz, you know, found, um, the dimensionality of this character and, uh, and brought him out. You know, it's interesting. Um, Cliff Bowl, who actually ended up directing 41 episodes of Star Trek, Jesus. which is so odd because he started with Contagion, but he wasn't a great director. I didn't know. 
most pedestrian director on that show. <laughs> Absolutely. And and he he didn't believe when uh, he was told that Barkley was a representation of Star Trek fans. He didn't believe it. And he said, well, I didn't feel that way. You know, I didn't approach the episode that way. He didn't know any of these things. Mm. And it's so funny that he had such a long... Because I... I when we were working on the next generation Blu-rays, we interviewed him and sat down with him. It's so funny to me because he seemed like just about the last guy that was should have been directing Star Trek. <laughs> but uh, he 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 was not the most dynamic individual in the world, which I found very surprising. I think probably uh, the reason he kept getting work was he came in on time, he came out on budget, and Rick, he didn't argue with Rick. He just did what he was asked to do. And so they like to find journeyman. He, he's yeah. totally mm-hmm. journeyman director. Yeah. And that's exactly what Rick wanted because he didn't want people who were going to fight with him and argue and, you know, have a vision. You know, it was like, you know, that was a very, you know, so somebody like Rick, that's why he got hired again and again, again you know, on time, on budget. Yep. So, so that's Barkley. That's Barkley. Well, and that's our, um, our, 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 our latest installment of the 101. Uh, Star Trek's greatest characters. We'll be back with part three, where uh, we'll resume with number 74 um, next time on the countdown. But uh, as always, this has been uh, a delight. Uh, You know, and if if you want to weigh in with your thoughts, of course, you can, if you're still on Twitter, you can follow us in Inglorious Trek, or you can uh, come to us on um, uh, uh, Instagram and in in Glorious Trexperts or Facebook. As for Mastodon, I don't know what that is, so uh, (laughs) don't expect to find us there. Um, It's some kind of prehistoric beast, as far as I know. But But I guess if you want to subscribe and get a little deeper and join us on Deck 78, all you got to do. And who doesn't is, want to get deeper? Who doesn't I, want to I go think, deeper? I think everyone does, if you know what I mean. What? Yeah. Uh, join us at uh, trexpertsplus.com and uh, it's easy to subscribe and and uh, be a Dexpert. That's right. The who knows what could happen on Deck 78? And uh, if you haven't gotten enough of uh, Rob's musings on science fiction and Star Trek here on the Trexperts, you can follow him every day at the Per Network. So go uh, check him out on YouTube um, at the Per Network, and uh, you too can become a connoisseur of imagination with Mr. Burnett as he takes you boldly <laughs> and shares his deep insights that uh, you and haven't even toys. considered. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah. In his, uh, in his, you know, it looks exactly the same as your old uh, uh, lair. Kind of does, doesn't <laughs> it? it does. It's actually quite different. But, you think uh, Superman really? would change how his Fortress of Solitude looks yeah. if he moved? Well, on yeah, a couple kind of. In Superman Four, it's like a lot less, you know, impressive because of the budget. So, I, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the old crystal budget was a little lower. Yeah, they couldn't afford all those crystals. So, um, if you beam down, you won't find one blessed crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Have this filter mask. Okay, um, well, uh, and that'll, that'll wrap it up, that'll wrap it up, because we got to start recording the next episode uh, imminently. So um, we want to thank you once again for joining us here at the Trexpress. We're hoping you're having a great holiday season, and we look forward to seeing you next time. So on behalf of Rob Burnett, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Doctor, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. snowman and pretend that he's a 
circus clown. We'll have lots of fun with Mr. Snowman until the other kids knock him down. When it snows, ain't it thrilling? Though your nose gets a chilling, we'll frolic and play the Eskimo way. Walking in a winter wonderland to face unafraid the plans that we've made. Walking in a winter wonderland. <laughs> 